Swing and a high fly ball, right field. Betts back to the wall, and there it goes. Ten rows back into the right field pavilion. Brian Reynolds hits his second home run of the series, and the Pirates retake the lead here in L.A. Three to one. Swing and a fly ball out the center. Reynolds oh, okay. charging in. Lux tagging. The catch is made. Lux is coming home. Here's the throw. The tag, and he's out. Reynolds throws out Lux at the plate. Heidemann got the tag down, and the Dodgers run into another out on the bases. 3-1 from Vessia. Swinging away, he launches one down the left field line, and this one is fair. Home run! Rodolfo Castro hits his first home run of the year. Right down the left field line, and the Pirates lead it 5-2. There's the set and the pitch. And a swing and a shattered bat pop up out to second. Out to Rodolfo Castro. He makes the catch. The Pirates sweep the Dodgers in L.A. And they turn the Dodgers blue as they beat L.A. 8-4 to tonight. It is once again early on a Sunday morning, so you know what that means. Grinders, it is our time. This is... The Sunday Morning Grind Podcast, Josh Taylor, Greg Finley, episode number 42, Greg. We had to dig in the bag to name this one, but I thought we came up with the good one. Give it to us. I've been thinking all week, like, I don't know many people that wore 42, but after Googling Steelers that wore 42, coming across this name, we just had to go with it. It's the James Pierre episode. It, it was too easy. <laughs> it was almost too easy. And, and of course, this is the disclaimer. We don't pick the obvious name because the obvious name, of course, you could pick Jackie Robinson, one of my lifetime heroes. That would be too easy. We go for the obscure and pretty Kapanen much out of nowhere. Been easy too. Kasperi Kapanen would have been easy too. No, 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 no. Not that easy, folks. We got to make it a little bit harder, a little bit more obscure, a little bit more random. So the James Pierre episode is the title for this show. Now, ironically, we are going to talk Steelers but not about the team, and James Pierre probably will not come up in the discussion. we got to talk about Stephon Tuitt retiring, announcing his retirement after, I believe, nine seasons with the Steelers. We'll talk about that. we got to talk about the Pirates sweeping the freaking Dodgers in L.A.? It went five out of six against the Dodgers this season? we got to get into that. Uh, we're we're going to do this rapid-fire style. We'll talk about those two things. Plus, we got NBA Finals coming up. we got to start picking that series and figure out how we're going to— what we're expecting here, what we're going to see. And— it was the Western Conference Finals you and I wanted. Connor McDavid versus Nathan McKinnon, Edmonton and Colorado. We'll kind of sort that out, too. And for some odd reason, the damn Rangers are still alive. We'll try to figure that out. And they're facing Tampa, so we'll talk about that, too. But we got all that in the first segment. Second segment, it, playing our favorite news headline game, Is This a Thing? We'll do that again, as we always do, because we know the people love it. And we got to give the people what they want. Let's start out. The Pirates... Sweeping the freaking Dodgers. What is going on right now? <laughs> I, and they're 22 and 27, I believe the Pirates are. As of the recording of this As date. As of the recording yes. of this date, they're 22 and 27 in third place. And you and I have had this discussion before. I'm like, well, as bad as this division is, is third place where this, where this team's going to end up? It looks a little, more and more like that by the day, but let's set that to the side. Well, the Cardinals and the Brewers going to fight for first and second. They are the two contenders in the division. I agree. Yep. yep. Uh, to answer your question, <laughs> what what the heck is going I on? I have no idea. <laughs> I, honestly, I'll, I'll 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 put it this way. So I like to watch different broadcasts because I like to get different perspectives of different announcers. I put the Dodgers broadcast on Monday. It was Joe Davis who's going to be doing the World Series this year. He's the voice of the Dodgers, and Eric Karros who fills in sometimes on uh, Sportsnet LA. Former Dodger. Karos put it out perfectly and exactly what happened. He said, this is a trap series. The Mets are coming to town on Thursday. They're the second best team in the National League behind, behind us. Behind the Dodgers, yep. We can't roll over and play dead against the Pirates. They did exactly that. Walker Buehler's throwing fastballs down the middle. The Pirates are hitting home runs off of him. You've got these young, hungry kids, Tucapita Marcano, one of them, mm -hmm. who takes Walker Bueller deep and Julio Urias deep. He did. The Pirates get a lead in all three games to start off. The starting pitching was great. 
even Mitch Keller pitched well. Mitch Keller pitched well. Here's another thing that's crazy. Not only did he get to the starters, but after David Bednar blows a save, they end up beating freaking Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, they, they beat did. Kimbrell. A 4.50 ERA, Craig Kimbrell, this year. But still, he, had no, blown, he had no blown <laughs> saves. He was 10 for 10. Uh, and, and you and I talked about this for, for probably years now. We always felt the two best closers were Craig Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen. Correct. Now they're on the same team. There's that. No, Kenley's with the oh, sorry, Braves sorry, Kenley's now. with the Braves now. Yeah. That's right. Never mind. Forget what I said. But, you know, it, but it is ironic that he's now where Kenley Jansen formerly was. Correct. But it, it, it stands to reason. The Dodgers had chances to win games here. But they made some terrible decisions on the base paths. Mm-hmm. There were some some fielding mistakes. They left the bases loaded three times. Left the bases couldn't loaded. Put, couldn't put runs in play. They had multiple chances. They had second and third with nobody out, and they only scored one. The sacrifice fly to center field. Brian Reynolds guns Gavin Lux at the dish, yep. and they don't score the tying run. Don't score the tying run. I mean, it, that, it was that, pretty shallow too. I wouldn't have ran on that. I wouldn't have ran on it either. They, and that was they went for it, and that was after Reynolds made a poor throwing decision to put runners on second and third with no outs. Yes, exactly. And they still couldn't cash in a run. It comes to the point though where the Dodgers weren't hitting in this series. They had to play aggressive because they were mm-hmm. not scoring runs. They come back, take a 5-4 lead on a bloop single to right field. You're like, oh, it's over. Yep, Kimbrel's going to shut out the ninth. Game over. No, the Pirates take the lead back. Bednar is pitching with half an arm left, and he's at 50 freaking pitches. And he shuts him down. And he strikes out Will Smith. He shuts him down. I mean, how and then drops not? An, and then drops an F-bomb. It, correct, <laughs> correct. And the funniest part is how much they've embraced that. Most people would be like, oh, he didn't just do that. But the Pirates are tweeting it out, and they're bleeping it in yeah. different ways. I mean, they're having a ball with it. I, I will say this, and this is, I think, the thing that probably is – it's the thing that's the most poignant for me is that this team is starting to develop more and more confidence. Absolutely. They're not afraid. Of, they weren't afraid of the Dodgers. They took two out of three against the Dodgers at PNC Park. I mm-hmm. think that was part of it. Yep. I think they walked in going, look, we got, we got a couple games coming up here. We got Quintana starting. Quintana beat him last time. He can beat him again. And he and he pitched well enough to beat him in the third game. Yep. It, it's just when you – and here's the thing. I remember I was talking to – uh, a women's basketball coach, division women's women's basketball coach. And I asked him a question. I said, let me ask you something here. I said, does winning breed confidence? Does confidence breed winning or is it chicken and egg? He said, honestly, it's chicken and egg. He said, because I've been in situations where winning is bred confidence. And I've been in situations where confidence is bred winning. He goes, it really depends on the circumstances and the context of it all. This is a team where, honestly, I believe beating the Dodgers two out of three Gave them confidence going into Chavez Ravine, and then they won the first game after Bednar blows the save. I should say that, yeah, they, they won the first game after Bednar blows the save. They come back and beat Kimbrell, and I think winning bred more confidence, and they won the next two. I really think that's what it was. I, I think we saw a chicken and egg scenario develop just with that series alone. I agree, and it, they also gained tons of confidence Saturday night when they beat the Padres, and they beat the best closer. Yep. In the National League at the time. Yep. Is it Taylor? It was Taylor, not Tyler. Taylor. Um, oh, come on, Greg. Why can't I think of his last name? The the closer for the Padres. Rogers. Taylor Rogers. Taylor yeah. Rogers. He comes into the game and it's like game over, right? He's got the best stuff. Yeah, no. He's, he's finished 20. He's, he leads the league and games finished with 20. He's got 17 saves. Right. 22 innings, 26 strikeouts, and they beat that guy. And he had an ERA under one. Yep. <laughs> it was it, .75. And it's 1.64 now, so he didn't really get affected that badly. But they beat that guy. Key Brian Hayes decided, I'm going to hit my first home run of the season off the best left-handed closer in base in the National League. <laughs> it, it stands to reason, and, and here's the thing. They're coming back home now, and they got three games over the weekend against Arizona. And then two more against Detroit, Tuesday and Wednesday, coming up here next week. Games that they can win. Games that they can win. And now they're coming off a road trip where they won four out of six, swept the Dodgers, the best team in the National League, and they've taken five out of six with said best team in the National League in the entire season. So that's that's the season series with the Dodgers. Now they got Arizona and Detroit. If they lose, do you think they're like, can we play the Dodgers some more? <laughs> there, was, there was a joke out there. Somebody somebody proposed, 
Why don't we just get rid of the Brewers and Cardinals and swap in the Dodgers and the Padres? <laughs> I'm like, you know what? That's not a terrible idea. I don't think many teams in the NL West would be opposed to that. <laughs> no, not at all. But it, it I, and once again, it's worth re- repeating that, you know, at the time of recording this, this show, they are 22 and 2017 and in third place. 22 and 2017, third place in the division. I don't think you and I expect much as far as postseason aspirations to happen for this team. But when you see things like this happen and the way they played and the way that they actually overcame adversity when they could have easily buried themselves mm-hmm. multiple times over, they let the other team bury themselves first. I'm never going to argue with that. They got to Bueller and Urias early. Yep. Made the Dodgers play from behind in all three games. They did. And with that kind of potent offense... It was the Pirates' bullpen yes. that shut them down. And you only had Bednar for one game. Only for one they game. They interviewed I, – I was I wrote the recap for the game on Wednesday, and they interviewed Shelton. He said – they said, you know, what does a kind of series win like this mean for a team like this? And he said, it means we can beat anybody. We can hang with anybody in this league. It gives us so much more confidence when we go into Chavez Ravine and we beat a team like the Dodgers the way that we did. I mean – how can you not be proud of that team if you're Derek Shelton? You've got all these young guys. Rodolfo Castro comes off the bench and he hits a, th- a two-run homer that lifts your spirits. Yeah, it's incredible. I say he drove it. I want to say he drove in four runs in drove that game. Drove in four runs in game, and he didn't even start. Correct. Nuts. Absolutely nuts. So, putting a bow on this. I mean, when you ask me how. I don't know how. It was the baseball gods. <laughs> they, they were like, we're tired of the Dodgers winning. Everybody's betting on the Dodgers. We want Vegas to win. The Pirates are going to sweep. <laughs> I, I played I played high school baseball. And by saying I played high school baseball, I mean I wore a uniform, sat with the team, and, and every once in a while got in a game. That's did, that's my definition. Than, you did more than me. I uh, I was I I kept the book. I got Fair a enough. uniform, but I didn't get the play. I kept the book before <laughs> and eventually played somewhat my senior year. But the coach of my high school team was a former scout. He was an area scout for the Pirates for years. And he played in the minor leagues for the Tigers. And the one thing he used to always tell us is that you know you could be the more talented team, you could be the more physically gifted, you can be the more athletic. But the team that's going to win the game more more often than not, nine times out of ten, is going to be the team that makes the fewest mistakes is the team that will win. And the Pirates, during that series, all three nights were the team that made fewer mistakes. It's because they had the lead. The Dodgers yeah. got too aggressive. Yeah. I mean, you would never see Taylor go from second to third on a ground out to third base with one out. He yeah. would never do that, but they were dying for runs. They, they played the smarter <laughs> Less error-free baseball, and it got him a sweep. So hats off to them. Hats off to Derek Shelton. Those guys are playing for him. You can tell me what you want about Derek Shelton. Tell me what you want about this team, but they're playing for him. That accounts for something. I agree. That's always going to mean something to me. Let's shift over to the Steelers. Stephon Tuitt made the announcement on Wednesday that he is retiring from football after nine seasons with the Steelers. Um, the circumstances behind it, I mean, we can kind of go back through it here. Of course, he lost his brother during the offseason last year. Um, in a really, really tragic car accident, was was hit, you know, on the side of the road by a passing car. Really, really terrible, tragic situation. And it was something that deeply affected him. Mm-hmm. Plus, he ended up having a knee issue later on, so he missed the entire season last year for the Steelers. June 1st, he makes the announcement that he's retiring. And this is important for one serious reason, because if him retiring, his him announcing his retirement on June 1st means of the $13 million the Steelers owed him against the cap this season, they now save nine of it. So they only pay $4 million out of that cap hit for this upcoming season because now he becomes a post-June 1st roster perch. So that's one thing that's worth pointing out because people was, why did they wait till this long for, you know, for that to happen? Well, in a way, it helped them because they now have $21 million in cap space as opposed to just twelve. So That's a big difference. It's a big difference. <laughs> and they already had a pretty good chunk of cap space anyway. $21 million go, gets you far. On top of that, I thought the way he worded his statement was very profound. You know, he he just he just finished up his degree at Notre Dame because he went to Notre Dame, Dame previously, goes back, finishes up his degree. He sounded like a man who was content with, hey, I've done this in football, but I'm ready to move on to the next phase of my life. As Chuck Noll used to say when he was the head coach of the Steelers, he was ready to move on with his life's work. Chuck Noll always believed that football is only part of your life, but the rest of the life that comes after it is the important part. And I think Stefan Tuitt understands that, and he's really embraced that philosophy. He's really embraced that concept. 
I agree 100%. It reminds me of Andrew Luck when he yes. stepped away from football. Here's a guy that, you know, top pick in the draft, went to the Colts, brought them from worst to at least best in their division. True. But a contender and just too many injuries. And, you know, you only get one life on this earth. You have to make the best of it and you have to make decisions that's best for you. Are people going to get mad at you because you walk away from your team? Probably they will, but who cares? It's about you. Anybody that gets mad at Andrew Luck is mad because now the Colts aren't going to be as good. Anybody that gets mad at Stephon Tuitt for walking away is because the Steelers' defense won't be as good. It's not a good enough reason, though. You need to let these—these guys are human beings. They're athletes, yes, but at the end of the day, they're human beings. So, you know— I, I'm not surprised. I kind of saw this coming. He's had too many injuries. You lose your brother, and, you know, that, that that's really tough. And the way that you lose your brother like that, I mean, it's not that he was too old or died of complications or cancer or something, but a, a car, like a car crash, that, that's mm-hmm. just terrible. So all of those things adding up, I, you, it makes sense why he'd walk away. I understand where he's coming from completely. I lost a cousin who was three months older than I was. We grew up together. We we were pretty much as close as brothers could be. We were roommates at Duquesne my freshman year. Really? And then we never were again because we almost killed each other. Oh, <laughs> we got no. so sick of each other. <laughs> but no, we were roommates my freshman year at Duquesne. And we, we made a pact our senior year of high school. And he was living in Virginia at the time. We made a pact. He said, okay, if we both get into Duquesne, we're going to go together. We made that decision early in our senior year. And I had already gotten accepted. He was trying to audition for a music scholarship, which he eventually came to Pittsburgh audition and got. And when he got the scholarship, I was like, we're going to Duquesne together. Let's go. And like, that was a vow that we had, it was a commitment we made to each other. And it's been almost two years now since he's been gone. It's been about a year and a half. And I understand it from his perspective. It's something like that. That's not supposed to, it's not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to bury a sibling. You're not supposed to bury a peer, someone your age or someone close to your age when you're this young in life and there's so much more to do. That's not supposed to happen. Right. And we had to do that. And the thing I thought that hurt me the most was that was the very weekend that my wife and I told my family that she was pregnant. She was pregnant with our son. And I think that was the thing for me that I was most excited about. I was excited to tell him, hey, you got a nephew coming. He's going to be your godson. That was one the thing I was looking forward to the most, and I never got to tell him that. And now, granted, I named my son after him, and that's one of the things that I'll always remember. And the crazy part about it is not to get too far off topic, but he's starting to exude some of the same character traits that my cousin had. And my wife and I kind of look at it, smile. We're like, okay, we named you perfectly. But <laughs> to, to bring it back around here, to Stefan Tuitt's perspective, I get it. I've gone through that. And it's, it's, it's terrible. It affects your life. It affects how you see life differently. And this is all during COVID while this is happening too. So your mindset, your, your view of how life is, is going to change because you realize all of this can end in an instant and none of this other stuff is that important. And he's already done all of it. Played at Notre Dame, has a degree from the university of Notre Dame, played in the NFL for nine years. He now has experience he now has the the kind of situation and the kind of the of background and track record that can make him successful the rest of his life and for his children and his children's children. That's what you want, right. isn't it? Isn't yes. that what's most important? One hundred percent. How often have you and I talked about how life is bigger than the game? All the time. How often when I used to when I hosted a radio show and you produced for that show on Sunday mornings and we talked about how life was bigger than the game? All the time when stuff like this happens. This is another example of that. And for people who can't see that. And it's, it's a sad thing to say. I hate to look at it this way, but it's the only way some people are going to learn. The only, way some, the, the only way some people that look at this so negatively are going to figure it out, keep on living. Keep on living because sooner or later, It'll something happen will to happen you. to you that changes your perspective and changes your mindset. If you don't get it now, keep on living. Let's move on to better stuff. Let's move on to, to happier things because I'll, I'll go on this for hours. Let's move on to NBA Finals. This is a matchup that you and I were just like, what? <laughs> Celtics and Golden State. I mean, the Golden State thing may be not as exciting. I mean, not as, I should say, not as surprising. I think it is exciting for Golden State. Yes. I don't think it surprises us as much. But Boston surviving Brooklyn, Milwaukee, 
and Miami. The fraudulent heat. The fraudulent <laughs> heat. Shout out to Chris Mack. The fraudulent Miami heat. I had a lot of fun razzing him when Jimmy Butler would go. Oh, my God. That was great. <laughs> Shut up, Greg. <laughs> but, yeah, the Celtics in the NBA Finals. This is it's not a matchup that I expected, but it's growing on me. I'm. It comes to the point to me, for me that and we brought this up last time. If the Suns would have taken care of the Mavericks, yep. Suns and Warriors would have been a great Western Conference final. It would have been the best best matchup of the entire playoffs. And we don't know who would have won that. No. It, it's definitely a coin flip compared to the Mavericks and the Warriors. And I would have been very happy watching that series, not knowing what the hell was going to happen. Right. Those are the best games for me. If I don't know who's going to win, I will watch beginning to end and be in complete awe of how this unfolds. Yes. That's what I wanted to see in that series, and it didn't happen. Game six, the Celtics don't take care of business at home, and you go, okay, they got to go back to Miami now, game mm-hmm. seven. All right, let's see what happens. And it was a pretty close game, back and forth, Jimmy Butler doing Jimmy Butler things. He was. <laughs> and then the Celtics, you know, Jason Tatum going off, Jalen Brown, they just have too much of a supporting cast compared to what the Heat had Boston ends up taking it in Game 7 in Miami, and now, you know, Game 1 was on Thursday. We're talking about this here Sunday morning with Game 2 Sunday night. The Warriors are too good at home. The fact that they're going to get four games at home, I think it's a wrap. That's how I feel because we know this. I I always say Oracle, but it is the Chase Center now. Yes, It's, It's the toughest place to play in the NBA, and the record speaks for it. But... At the same time, am I the only person that's thinking, hey, Boston might actually have a shot at this thing? Oh, I think they do have a shot. They, they have too much of a supporting cast. Like They've got the height, Horford and Robert Williams against Looney and Draymond. I would give the edge to the Celtics. They're making me believe, man. They play defense, and you have to play defense against the Warriors. You can't you just stand around like the Mavericks did. And you can't do that like Brooklyn did all damn season. You can't <laughs> right. do that. Boston is starting to make me believe, and you're you're hearing this from a, a Lakers fan who was saying, "Hey, Boston's making me believe they can win this thing." It, it's I'm really intrigued with this team because Al Horford gets to his first NBA Finals. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Joe they, Johnson's still on this. Joe team. Johnson, man, ISO Joe, woo, pick Suey for ISO Joe. We were gonna. This is a fun team. We were gonna play a game. A couple of months ago when we were going to bring up random players and yes. say, wait, that guy's not retired. Right. I never would have thought that I would see Joe Johnson is still in the NBA. I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was really, really cool that Al Horford, Joe Johnson are in the NBA finals. That That's and remember, that's remember, the OG Atlanta Hawks, man. Yeah. Like and remember Al Horford. You know, this is a guy who's been around for quite some time. You're talking almost two decades in the league, man. He's been here a while. Yes. Like, you know, decade and a half. He's a journeyman in the league, but he's a really good player, and he's been a consistent player, and everybody knows what Al Horford is good for him when he steps out on the floor. But he'd never been to an NBA Finals, and now he's there. I think that's awesome if, for him. If the Celtics win, it'll be because Jason Tatum did it, uh, just just did too much. And he's so capable of going off. Like I think he that is. he takes that next step in people's minds if they win this thing. Like, they already know Jason Tatum is a great player. Yes. But he reaches like Giannis level if he can beat the Warriors in the NBA Finals. He is very capable of going supernova. And if he does... This elevates him, and and we we love to rank players in this league. We love to put people on tiers and in, in on lists and stuff. And I hate how that process just gets completely overblown and overdone. But if that happens for Boston, he's shooting up there. Yeah, he he shoots up to maybe not the top tier, but maybe that second tier. Especially if he goes supernova, like I think he's capable of doing. So, are you saying that the Celtics are going to win? I'm saying that I'm I, I don't think it'll be as easy for a win for Golden State as I thought it would be coming in. I thought the fact that Golden State had four home games, like you pointed out, you and I agreed on this. They're like, they're not they're not gonna win four if they gotta play four times at Chase. But can they steal one? That's the thing for me. If Boston can steal one, it's a whole different series. And and especially if they can steal one of the first two. Right. If they still wanted the first two games, could you imagine them winning game one? No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Let me rephrase. Let me rephrase. Could you imagine if they won one of the first two and then have to go back to Boston? 
it would be a huge momentum boost for them. It, it, and, and, and this is a team that I'm already starting to believe actually might be able to do this. If they go back for game three with a 1-1 tie, this entire series can end differently. It can. It, it, that's that's what Boston has me thinking now. And I'm I'm like, am I a prisoner of the moment? And I think about it, I say, no. They beat Brooklyn. They beat Milwaukee. And then they had to go on the road in game seven to beat Miami. They earned their way here. And oh, they, they beat good teams in the process to get here. They didn't just, you know, step over to freaking Hornets. They beat teams Two teams in particular that could have easily been where they are right. in Brooklyn and, and uh, Milwaukee. I agree. Either Brooklyn and Milwaukee could be in the finals. We'd be sitting there talking about it going, yeah, we, we thought this was possible. But with, no, with it's With Durant Boston. and Irving? Of right. course. <laughs> but no, it's Boston with, with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Al Horford. It's this team. So with a rookie coach, here we go. This, this will make for a great series. I, I'm really curious about it. I still think Golden State wins it. But I want to see how Boston responds to this, man. I think they can really really turn some heads. If it's 2-0 Golden State and they just got to get one of the next two in Boston, oh, yeah, it's I over. think it's over. It's a wrap, definitely. So these definitely. first two games are huge. They are. They really the are. The pressure is all on Boston. It's these, not on Golden State. These first two games provide a hell of a backdrop of a story. And it, I think they will be more critical than the remaining five. You asked me, could you imagine if the Celtics win game one? Why did they take both games in chase? I, you see where I'm going with this now, because this team, you never know. Like, the way they play defense, like you mentioned, the depth that they have, the presence they have in the in the front court, Jace, Jason Tatum having the ability to just lose his mind, it seems more possible than maybe we give it credit for. It's all I'm saying. It's all I'm saying. Let's shift over to uh, hockey, Eastern Conference, Western Conference Finals, and Stanley Cup playoffs. You have Tampa and the Rangers on one side of the bracket. We'll get to that in a second. Let's get to the fun stuff. Edmonton, Colorado. We got our wish. <laughs> we got our wish. Game one, both teams go crazy. They score 14 combined goals. You got Nathan McKinnon for Colorado. On the other side is Connor McDavid. And this was a question I asked our friend, Angie Carducci, when we were, when we were doing a radio show. I asked her, I said, you know, is this, is this, does this feel like to you that this might be Connor McDavid's time to maybe finally take that last step and say, all right, here it is. I'm the guy. And she felt like, she felt like Colorado was the better team and that McKinnon is good, but maybe there needed to be more from Edmonton. But granted, him and Dreisaitl together are just and freaking Evander menace. Kane. And, Evander, <laughs> and Evander Kane, like, it's crazy because we talk McDavid and Dreisaitl, and you forget to have Evander Kane on that line. <laughs> yeah. But that's how good that line is. Right. Those two together are just lightning, but they've been good together for a while now because they've been together longer. Evander Kane just got there recently. But to your point, Evander Kane's there too. That line's disgusting. That line Evander is really Kane. disgusting. And then Mike Smith is actually playing well in goal. So it's like, you know what? This isn't crazy. Maybe Edmonton can make that run. I say that with full understanding that Colorado is a really good team. <laughs> Nathan McKinnon is Nathan McKinnon's a player I've liked for a while now. And they're finally becoming the team I thought they could become in the past couple years. Yes. I thought Colorado was good enough to make a run. But no, now they've completed the team. They're a more complete team, top to bottom, all four lines through the defense and in goal. Nazem Kadri has really tur has, has turned it up a couple notches, and he stepped it up. And that's despite a couple of things that have been really messed up that have happened in his direction with the Blues and everything. But good on him for at least stepping up to the plate, and, or bad analogy, but at least you know stepping up in the moment and still producing and helping this team get to the Western Conference Finals. So I still like Colorado in this series, but I'm not going to lie. I expect to see Barton Burtis. This is going to get crazy. I'm a little worried about Kemper's upper body injury. Yes, that's another thing. And when Mike Smith's playing so well on Edmonton side – Abs may not have Kemper. Mike Smith may become the guy who swings the momentum in this series yeah. if he gets a couple good games in there. He got pulled in game one from giving up seven for goals. For giving up seven goals. <laughs> <laughs> in a game where the teams combined for 14. That game was gross. Like, yeah. I, I, we were texting each other like, dude, it's 6-3 to three Colorado. Like, it's over, right? <laughs> but then here comes nope. Edmonton. Here comes They're Edmonton. making it interesting again. Yeah. So. It, I, no, I don't expect it to be firehouse hockey like Edmonton and Calgary was, like the early part of that series. I think this will calm down a bit. But, yeah, this this could get this can get a lot more fun. And this is another one of situations where, hey, what if Edmonton steals a game or two they had no business stealing? That gives them a shot. Gives There's them a no shot. Doubt. And if you got McDavid, all you need is a shot. All you need. Guy like that, you and I talked about this before. Connor McDavid is at that point in his career. I, I look at him the same way I looked at Mario Lemieux in his prime. Mario, when the puck was on Mario's stick, you did not know what you were going to see. 
but you knew you were going to see something amazing. Yeah. You just knew. You're like, especially if, and, and Mario had this thing where, for, big guy, bear in mind, Mario was six foot four, 220 pounds back in an era where big guys did not play center and skate the way he did. And he was so fast and he could just, he could make it look so easy. He just, he would just glide through and just deep guys. Mario get the puck in the zone with a full head of steam. I mean, you'd hear the entire eagle, like you'd hear the volume come up because like, what is he going to do right now? Right. There's only a couple guys I've seen in my lifetime that gave me that feeling when the puck was on their stick. Mario was one of them. Alex Ovechkin is another one. When Ovechkin got the puck, it was just like, you even hear the announcers go, Ovechkin, because even they're waiting to see what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You hear the, the, the sound in the crowd start to go up because they're anticipating what's going to go down. Connor McDavid has moved into that pantheon for me. Of guys that when the puck is on his stick, you're like, all right, we're going to get a show. As soon as he got the puck in overtime against Calgary, oh, we man. both knew it was a it was wrap. Over. <laughs> it was over. I think everybody but the guys on the ice knew it. Oh, my God. You know the goalie was like, oh, crap. Oh, man. Oh, he oh he crapped in his pants and then dove in and swam. Oh, man. You, you just knew. He went glove side and had no shot at stopping None. it. None. But that that is what he's becoming, man. And... Now, granted, we're, we're the guys that live in the town where Sidney Crosby plays. Right. And I would never sit there and put Connor McDavid above Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby is the most complete player I've seen in my lifetime. I'd never, I'd never argue otherwise. But, man, when Connor McDavid's got the puck, I am paying attention. And right. that, is, that is one of the highest compliments you can pay any, pay any player in the National Hockey League. That's, that's where he is. I agree. So if Edmonton's able to steal a game or two that they have no business stealing— and that guy has a chance. If Kemper is out for long term, the Avs are not going to ride. They're not going to roll in this. It's, it's going to change the series. It's going to become a much tougher series, much tougher sledding. I totally agree. So, and, and that's what I'm looking at. A, what happens with Darcy Kemper? B, what happens with Mike Smith? That might dictate a lot of And it how much me. Connor McDavid impacts Edmonton's oh, offense. Oh, my God. If that top line, <laughs> if that if that McDavid dry side of Kane line goes off, it's over. And they don't need those guys going off, especially if the Avs don't have Darcy Kemper. Forget it. Both those defenses and goaltenders are like, seriously, guys? Like, really? What are we supposed to do here? Yeah. <laughs> they brought the backup in. It was a two-on-one pass, shot, goal. He falls over. He's like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> the backup, you know what the backup felt to me, the backup goaltender for... for uh... Koskinen. Yeah, you know you know who he felt like to me? Who? He felt like the guy in uh, the Emperor's New Groove. Have you ever seen it? Yes. The Disney movie. Yes. Remember towards the end where they're they're chasing um, Cusco and Pacha like through the lab, and like there's the different vials of animals that you can turn people into, <laughs> and the one guy gets turned like the, like uh, all the henchmen get turned into different animals, and like Isma freezes, and one guy's like, "Hi, I've been turned into a cow. Can I go home now?" And she's like, <laughs> "You're excused." That's how I felt about Koskin. And Koskin's sitting there like. I just got turned into a cow. Can I go home now? Because brought me in for this. Like, really? <laughs> That's how I felt. I'm like, that guy's just having a rough night. <laughs> it's like I felt worse for him than I did for, for the guy in front of him. That's how bad it got. It's but yeah, this this series should be interesting. I I think Darcy Kemper being healthy is probably the thing that probably puts it over the top for Colorado, but if he doesn't, it becomes a lot more interesting. And we'll see what Connor McDavid does, man. And here's the crazy part. This is only the Western Conference Finals. Correct. <laughs> they were not even in the, NBA, in the NHL Finals yet, so this can still get nuts. All right, let's take a break. Wait, Eastern. Eastern oh, Eastern Conference. Conference Finals. This is how much I don't want to talk about the Rangers. I agree. I yeah. agree. This, this is me not wanting to talk about the Rangers. All right, Rangers. we'll take a break. We'll, we'll just skip it. <laughs> <laughs> the, right now, the Rangers with me are like the Lakers. They are Bruno, and we don't talk about Bruno. But let's get into it. How that. are they doing this? I, I don't know. Like, they could beat up backup goaltenders in the first two rounds, and you go, fine. Fine. They're playing backup goaltenders. But Vasilevsky, they hang six on him? Yeah. What's up with that? Uh, the Rangers are playing with house money, and I think they know it. I think the Rangers know they're playing with house money. And here's the, here's the crazy part for me. I expected more from Tampa just based on the way they ran through Florida. But right. then again, maybe they sat for too long because they ran through Florida. That's fair. But I, I felt the, the lightning. I mean, we're talking back-to-back defending Stanley Cup champions here. I, I, I don't know if I told you about this analogy of how I felt that Tampa was in my mind. Tampa in my mind right now, they feel like the early 2000s Lakers. You did tell me this, yes. <laughs> where, where, you know— the beginning of the season, Shaq's probably not even playing like the first 25, 30 games because he's not even in shape yet. Then he finally shows up, starts to, you know, play some minutes, and 
kind of getting into form while Kobe's out here doing his thing and the other guys are, you know, deep fish and everybody else are trying to, you know, slog their way through Rick Fox, all those guys. Then, then the all-star break comes and goes and they're like, all right, all right, fellas, time to get serious. <laughs> and then they turn it on. And then by like March, April, they're just steamrolling guys. The playoffs start and they're just a machine. It, that That's how Tampa feels to me right now. I mean, now. Tampa fell in the rankings to third place in their division where they finish. They come into the playoffs where the analysts and fans are like, are these guys even legit or not? Like, that's not the same Tampa team. You know what I didn't know coming into this series? That the Rangers had home ice advantage because they had a better record than Tampa. Same here. I didn't even know that. <laughs> what? I didn't either until I turned the game on. I'm like, oh, it's in MSG. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Rangers got home ice advantage in this series? This is crazy. Right. That's I, how far behind Tampa had fallen. I agree. And, and just, you know... It's so frustrating because we hate the Rangers for what they did to the Penguins. The Penguins are up 3-1. They couldn't put the Rangers away. Truba's dropping elbows on everybody. And he did it again against Carolina. Exactly. So I expect him to just take Stamkos' head off or something stupid as well and not get a penalty for it. He got a penalty for tripping or for a high stick, but he didn't get one for the elbow to the head. That's what this league has become. A joke. Seth Jarvis passes out on the bench. After that hit happens, and they did nothing. Right. It. I'm tired of the Rangers. I'm with you 100. percent Yeah. We are all Tampa Bay Lightning fans. We we need karmic justice. Whether it's Tampa that deals it out or the winner of Colorado and Edmonton, but I'm I'm waiting on it to happen. I'm just I, waiting for it. I just need I just need to see the Rangers lose so bad. <laughs> like Shesterkin's back to his regular season. Shesterkin's back to being Shesterkin, which should be frightening for anybody that faces him. Sabanajan and Kreider just doing whatever they want right now. They really are. They're just a unit right now. And I they didn't are. expect that from this team. I didn't. I mean, I knew how good Zabanajet was, and we knew what Kreider could do for just how much he's tortured the Penguins over the years. But it doesn't matter who they're playing anymore. A team down 3-1 to the Penguins, you're thinking, man, they can't even beat Louis Domingue. But they ended up winning that series. And those two were like, we got this. And then they're down again to Carolina, and they come back and win that series. Yep. In I, Carolina, who hadn't lost a playoff game at home all season. I talked to Steve Overmeyer from CBS New York during that, that Penguins and Rangers series. Going into Game 7, yes. Steve Overmeyer told me, he said, for some odd reason, this team doesn't feel comfortable unless they're behind, unless they are down and have to come back and crawl their way out. He's like, but that's when they really start to look like when they're at their best. He said, they he said, they were a great team on the road all season. They've come from behind and won games. He said, for some odd reason, they're just comfortable. When everybody else kind of get, gets a little bit stressed out, he said they become more relaxed, they get comfortable, and they just turn it on. And if that's the case with Tampa, oh boy. <laughs> But then again, they seem to be off to a good start without having to do that against Tampa, so that might be even worse. Which, of course, we do not want to hear. Correct. <laughs> so, well, so who wins? Um, I'm not betting against Tampa. I, I just sat there and called them the freaking early 2000s Lakers. I can't bet against them now. I got to pick Tampa. I think I do too. I think I think they'll bet. I agree. Now, now we can take it. Now we can take it. <laughs> when we come back. You no longer have to wait for this. It's the best part of the show. It's our favorite news headline game. Is this a thing? We'll do that when we come back. Episode 42 of the Sunday Morning Grind. See you in a minute. You're listening to the Sunday Morning Grind podcast, a show where we talk about sports both on the Pittsburgh level locally, but also around the sporting world as well. We have a little fun with it, by the way, too. You can download the Sunday Morning Grind on iTunes, Google Podcast, Anchor, or Spotify. Basically, anywhere you get your podcasts from. Now let's get back to the show. You hear the music. That means it is time to get crazy. It is time for our favorite part of the show. At least it's mine. It's mine, too. It is, it is yours, too. What am I talking about? It's been our favorite part of the show for a while now, since we started doing it years ago. Since we were doing this on the radio side of things. Our favorite time of the show. Our favorite news headline game. Is this a thing? Here's how it works. We collect stories. We collect things that happen, things that are said, things that are tweeted out. And we start to break these things down. And we say, wait, is this something really worth our time? Is this serious? Or is this maybe instead fake news? 
Greg's got the list. Let's break it down. Hey, you've got the list. I got the list? Yeah. Okay, you're right. I do have the list. All right, let's, we'll keep this one local because this one's pretty fun. We'll start with the Pirates. Now, last week, the Pirates placed Ben Gamble on the 10-day injured list. Pirates got a handful of injuries in that starting lineup. They got some guys going down, especially guys that were, you know, really big contributors to this team. But Ben Gamble goes on the injured list, and the Pirates tweeted this out last week. Then a very unlikely, very unlikely party responds in the person of none other than Garrett Jones, former Pirates outfielder and first baseman, Garrett G.I. Jones, who replies to the Pirates and says two words, I'm available. (laughs) A Garrett Jones return to the Pirates, Greg, is this a thing? It's not a thing because they're going with young talent now, and I don't want it to be a thing because of that reason alone. <laughs> uh, you, uh, you're right. It, you're absolutely right. However, it, it's – yeah. Yeah. Let, let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's definitely not a thing. But um, it's it's hilarious because – I don't know, man. It just – I don't know. I just think – I think it's funny. Garrett Jones was like one of the most unlikely guys – that became like a fixture on this team. And you were like, where did this dude come from? Right. And became like this big, huge, like sensation, I guess you can say. Because he could hit the ball really far when it was a fastball right down the middle. This is true. Kind of <laughs> like Pedro Alvarez. Same thing. Yeah. Fastball down the middle, right-handed pitcher with no one on base. Pedro can crush it 500 feet. Correct. Any other circumstance, it'd probably either strike out or be a ground out to short. <laughs> but that's beside the point. Wait, I, I, okay, I, I got another one that's not on the list. Okay. But you texted me this week. You said, <laughs> are we going to get a GFDI Dave moment here? We did, when yeah. When he brought in Alex Vesia to face a right-handed batter, and Brian Reynolds took him deep. <laughs> Dave Roberts, Dodgers manager, or as Greg and I now call him, GFDI Dave. <laughs> If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google GFDI Dave. There's a reference to it. If you know, you know. <laughs> but that is our new nickname for Dave Roberts. But, yeah. He did I, it twice. He did it twice. <laughs> In this Pirates and Dodgers series, GFDI Dave was a thing. It was a thing. It was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to guys who haven't found their ways to screw it, found their way to screw it up with their team. Uh, Ime Udoka. Head coach of the Boston Celtics. This is a great. This is a great tweet that happened during the week. I'll make sure I, I attribute this per, uh, perfectly. JL Barrow is the name of the person who tweeted this out. Uh, Fathers, Fathers who bother podcast. He's the host of that podcast. He tweeted this out last week. Imagine winning a conference title your first year on the job, and then going home to Neil Long. <laughs> Ime Udoka is Times Man of the Year. <laughs> and I, I texted this to you. Because we talked about this earlier. We talked about it in the person of Cole Tucker, who had been designated for assignment by the Pirates earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. I think it was on Memorial Day was when it happened. Of course, Cole Tucker dates Vanessa Hudgens, you know, of uh, High School Musical fame. You asked me, how did the Dodgers get swept by the Pirates? How is he dating Vanessa Hudgens? How is he dating <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens? Great question. And I, I told you, I said, man, this is like, it's like Rick Fox. It's like the Rick Fox paradox. And you're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, think of and another reference to the early 2000s Lakers incoming. Rick Fox, the latter part of his career playing for the Lakers. And I mean, granted, you know, he wasn't like the earlier part of his career. Rick Fox could still play. But at the same time, there are some people that hated Rick Fox. They hated Rick Fox. He's just married to freaking Vanessa Williams. <laughs> and it was one of those things. It's like, hey, you can say what you want about Rick Fox. He's going home to one of the most beautiful women in Hollywood. And she's a former Miss USA. Like, no one cares. Okay. He wins. <laughs> no one cares if you hate Rick Fox. He's already won. It doesn't matter. So, my question to you, Ime Udoka, in light of this tweet, Ime Udoka is the time man of the year for getting to the NBA Finals in his first season on the job and being married to Nia Long, whom, by the way, is one of my favorite women to look at of all time. Very talented actress, I might add, but just absolutely beautiful and just ages wonderfully like fine wine. She's remember, 51 years old Remember, Nia, very good. <laughs> Nia Long was in Friday. Friday came out in 1994. Friday's almost 30 years old. Let me throw that out there. 1994 was when I was born. <laughs> like Friday, the movie Friday, the, the iconic movie that probably, you know, access to generation, that movie's almost 30. So that tells you, Nia Long being 51, but looking as tremendous as she does, kind of doesn't matter when you see her. 
But Ime Udoka, latest purveyor of the Rick Fox paradox. This is a thing. Oh, it's 100% a thing. It's whenever you're married to a beautiful woman like that, <laughs> it's kind of easy to be time man of the year whenever you get to go home to her. And, oh, by the way, you're playing for the NBA Finals in your first year as a coach. He could get swept by the Warriors, Josh, and he still gets to go home to that. You know what else is cool? He wins. <laughs> um, besides the fact that he wins, when he wins and, like, Ime Udoka gets mentions, like, on social media by reporters and stuff, his wife retweets it and quote tweets it and is like, that's right, let's go. Like, she's she's his main cheerleader. <laughs> that's great. I love that, man. I'm like, Ime Udoka, I'm walking out of the house every day with a smile on my face. I got that at home cheering me on as my team goes to the NBA Finals when no one expected me to go in my first year on the job, and she's cheering me on. I'm the happiest man on earth, wise or otherwise. Right. This is perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. And yes, it's a thing. It's a thing. Totally a thing. Now, I have to admit, I think I lost the rest of the list here. Okay, well, I've got another one. Okay, this cool. One, this one is not on the list, but it's a good one. We We are both wrestling fans. We are. MJF. Oh my God! Let's from go. AEW. Oh, just t- broke the f- what the fourth wall? Is that the saying? Oh, he broke the fourth. He wall. broke the fourth wall, and you know he's telling he's telling Tony Khan to fire him. He's dropping f bombs on live TV. Called him an f and Mark. Just wow. My is this a thing? Question for you is: Was this a work or was this? You know, he was speaking his mind. From that perspective, it was a shoot. Like, that promo was all shoot. He That was totally, like, that was off his dome. Mm-hmm. It felt to me, and I tweeted this out. I said, MJF sure had me looking at my calendar and making sure it wasn't 11 years ago. Because I want to say it was June of 2011 when CM Punk dropped the, the pipe bomb promo. Correct. In Las Vegas. And it was the same thing. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google CM Punk pipe bomb promo. And and he told the story eventually. He he had a WWE like documentary and pretty much told him, "Hey, we're gonna give you five minutes, give you a microphone, and let you air your grievances." CM Punk sat there in, in a, a tailor seat at the top of the ramp and just come and just proceeded to flame the entire WWE organization from Vince McMahon on down. And I mean, everybody caught it: John Laurinaitis, Shane, and Stephanie, Triple H. They all everybody was getting it that day. CM Punk was laying it into everybody and. By the time that promo was over, people were like, CM Punk is a freaking hero. But here was why that became so iconic. Because, and, and guys like Cody Rhodes even admitted this later, he cut a promo previously in AEW talking about it. He said CM Punk's pipe bomb promo kind of became the change, the, the change that the wrestling industry needed because he was the first guy that was like, look, I'm with the mothership, but I'll walk away if I have to. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to Ring of Honor. I'll, I'll take the WWE title and defend it at New Japan. That was when wrestlers started to realize, hey, we don't have to be attached to this machine to, you know, to be successful. And that was where the revolution started. Cody Rhodes left. The Young Bucks built their entire careers, wrestling everywhere but WWE. Ring of Honor, New Japan, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla. Like, it's just, they just, they're all over the place making this thing happen. And, you know, now you get to the point where CM Punk, of course, is in AEW, but then you have a guy like MJF who's rising in AEW, and for my money, he's the best He's the best heel in wrestling. No one comes close. I agree. And he drops that promo last night, and you can tell everything he said was pure shoot about how he feels like he's been carrying the company the last couple weeks or whatever for weeks on end. He's had some of the best storylines. Him and Punk has been the feud of the year. Yep. There's no feud of, of the year better than him and Punk in 2022. You're not going to find it. And they went to that dog collar match, and, and I thought both guys sold either end of that feud flawlessly. They beat the living crap oh, out of each other. Oh, they beat the piss out of each other. It was amazing. <laughs> but no, I think I think, I think think Maxwell Jacob Friedman had some pretty you know, valid grievances. Now, the issue surrounding it, MJF's contract expires January of 2024. And the amount of money he's being paid, some people are estimating it's maybe you know, 20 to 25% of what some of the bigger names in AEW are making. Now, bear in mind, Maxwell Jacob Friedman, 26 years old. Right. This guy's really just, he's still growing into what he could be. Imagine MJF in his 30s. Like five years from now, MJF might rule the damn world as far as wrestling is concerned. (laughs) Right. That's how good he could be. Yes. But he wants to be paid more. And there's been discussions about a contract extension. And and in order to be paid more, he would have to uh, sign a contract extension. They've gone back and forth about it. Now, to answer your question. I feel like everything he said in that promo was a shoot. 
But the promo itself and him having the mic cut off at the end and some of the stuff he said, that was a work. I agree. That was a work. That is CM Punk pipe bomb promo revisited. And we're taking this to a new level now. The new feud in AEW, that might be the top of the card. MJF versus Tony Khan. That's a, that's that's the feud now. Yes. And I I thought I thought the way he delivered it, man, he, he couldn't have delivered it better. He could not have done it better. And then dropping the F-bomb at the end and <laughs> calling him an F and Mark, I'm like, wow. And I th- it took Pipe Bomb promo to a new level. And people were popping for it. And oh. they're all like, MJF, best heel in the game. He proved it again. Tony Khan tweeted, like, thanks so much for everybody watching. Like, yeah. he, he's fired up. Tony knows. got all those, those views. Tony Khan knows. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, and this is one of those things where storylines are wrestling. Some of it's a little bit real life. Yep. And this one is a lot real life. A lot of it's real life, but I want to see where they go with it because you know it's not done. No, it's not. They, they, you can't have that happen and then not address it afterwards right. at all. Correct. Oh, there's more to this. Oh, it's yeah. going to get good. It's it a, is. The, the promo itself is mostly shoot, but the storyline right now is a work. Okay, last one. We got about three minutes. Jock Peterson and Tommy Pham. <laughs> so apparently fantasy football beef going on yeah. years ago. When Jock was playing for a World Series with the Dodgers, this beef was going on. Yeah. Pham was playing for the Padres. The Giants are in Cincinnati. Tommy Pham just decides to go to the outfield. Pham, who's with the Reds. Jock Peterson with the Giants. Jock Peterson as hard as he can in the face. First of all, you don't slap a man. R.I.P. Charlie Murphy. And yet he did and got a three-game suspension for it. Uh, Wow. If If you're a reporter and you're like... Oh, Tommy Pham, Jock Peterson, you know, NL West buddies because Padres and the Dodgers. What did he just do? <laughs> like... Yeah. Well, it gets even better because they, they start talking about the situation with the league, and the commissioner of the league was apparently Mike Trout, and Pham yeah. starts dumping on Mike Trout. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you just got suspended for slapping Jock Peterson. You go crazy on Mike Trout, they might suspend you for the rest of the season. <laughs> that's, that's the league right there. You can't mess with that, dude. I think uh... – I think my is this a thing is does Tommy Pham have a gambling problem? <laughs> I mean, he called himself a high roller. I, and... I I would say that at the very least. Yeah, not only is he a gambling problem, he's the latest case of when keeping it real goes wrong. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a thing. Went out and slapped Jock Peterson in the face without any context. That's weird. <laughs> although, although Tommy Pham needs to be reminded, no one cares about your fantasy team. Correct. Nobody cares. <laughs> you you, you could you. We could have answered that in an email, Tommy Fam. Could have been addressed in an email. That's all I'm saying. All right, we got to go. We got to get out of here. Episode 42, almost in the can. Follow the show at Sunday MRN Grind. Follow Greg at The GFIN. Follow me at Josh Taylor HD. This has been the James Pierre episode of the Sunday Morning Grind podcast. For Greg Finley, I'm Josh Taylor. See you later. <laughs>